0: As fierce fighting continues in the Donbass, Russia has been making territorial gains in the east and south of Ukraine in the last few weeks. But despite these recent successes, this isn't where Russia expected to be three and a half months after the invasion. British military intelligence believes Russia has lost one third of the ground
1: forces it used to invade Ukraine. The assessment is in stark contrast to briefings coming from the Kremlin their offensives are getting smaller and smaller. They're still bringing troops in, they're still pushing, they're still gaining, but they're not gaining any sort of outright victories. They're taking bite-sized small chunks.
0: In Moscow, amid recriminations and finger-pointing, a brutal blame game has led to some personnel changes. I want to update everyone on some of the problems in the Kremlin. Putin put two of his top intelligence officials under, quote, house arrest for providing poor intelligence ahead of the invasion. They told Putin what he wanted to hear, not the facts. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Putin's purge. Why Russian spies are being jailed in Moscow.
1: There had been some signs in Russia that things weren't going totally according to plan.
0: Reporting from Russia has been difficult, for reasons we'll come to in a moment. So the Times reporter and Russian speaker Tom Ball has been monitoring the situation from his desk in London. Every day, he's checking Russian sources, feeds, telegram channels, and keeping an eye on what the intelligence is saying
1: there had been rumblings within Russia that Putin was perhaps not best pleased about all this. One morning, the head of the department within the FSB, which is the Russian Domestic Security Agency, had been arrested. To have Sergei Besieda named as having been arrested was quite unprecedented.
0: Tell me about Sergei Beseda. Why was it such a big deal that he'd been arrested?
1: He was the director of what is called the Fifth Service within the FSB. And the FSB is primarily a domestic security agency akin to MI5. But gradually over the years, since the late 90s, has had its 5 if you like, extended to also include oversight of former Soviet countries. So Beseda was essentially the man whose job it was to keep countries like Ukraine at heel. He was arrested along with his deputy, a man called Anatoly Polyukh They're long-term spooks.
0: But you'd sort of think that in the first few weeks of an invasion of Ukraine, which he was effectively in charge of the intelligence gathering in that country, you'd think he'd be right at the centre of operations, not being marched off and being arrested.
1: Yeah, the blame was essentially being laid at his door. His department had for many years been tasked with political agitation intelligence gathering in ukraine that information clearly was not up to scratch putin had been told if you send troops into ukraine we'll topple the government within days there'll be an outpouring of pro-russian support ukraine will be at heel again but that department hadn't done its job properly putin was extremely angry about that so Besieda was the fool guy for that. Not only was he removed from his post, but he was also thrown to prison.
0: Presumably, he couldn't charge him with not doing his job properly, otherwise it would be conceding that Russia was failing. So what was the excuse for arresting him?
1: Ostensibly, he was held on suspicion of having embezzled FSB funds. Embezzlement is a charge that is routinely used against opponents of the Kremlin to get them out of the way. So, for example, Alexei Navalny, the Russian opposition leader, has also been thrown into prison on trumped up embezzlement charges.
0: You said he was sent to prison. What sort of prison is this?
1: He was sent to a place called Laforteville Prison, which was built back in the, the 19th century and was used by the NKVD, which was the precursor intelligence agency to the KGB, which in turn is the precursor to the FSB. It was used heavily during the Stalinist purges of the 1930s and reputedly had a mass execution chamber in the basement. It has a long history of housing opponents to the state, undesirables and basically anyone that irritates the Kremlin.
0: So Poseidon to be sent there, that's quite a signal. Seeing that that had happened, what were you thinking?
1: Well, initially it was a remarkable revelation, not only for the fact that a very senior member of the Russian elite had been in prison, but also the fact that Putin had conceded that things were going badly wrong. That was what surprised me the most. We were finally seeing a chink in that armour.
0: And Tom, what's it like for you sitting here watching that unfold? I mean, we know that Moscow isn't the easiest place to, to report from at the best of times. And in the last few months, it's been nearly impossible. I mean, you can get arrested now for using the word war. And, you know, for Western journalists in particular, you know that there is a danger that you could spend up to 15 years in prison if you manage to offend the authorities. So a lot of the coverage has been coming from here. You're at the heart of that. How do you do that? How do you manage to report on what's happening inside Moscow from London?
1: There are some very good Russian journalists and analysts who watch the FSB very closely and who have sources within them. There's also been a series of whistleblower letters since the start of the war ostensibly by a disgruntled FSB officer, and
0: what did this letter show?
1: There's been several of them, all of which run to several thousand words. They initially were talking about the failures of the war. Heads of department were being scapegoated, how that then trickled down to people like this whistleblower yeah. who was slightly lower level. Yeah. A lot of it was office gripes that wouldn't sound amiss in <laughs> other professions, but it all added up to a sense of deep discontentment within the FSB and the feeling that this war had been predicated on some pretty shaky intelligence.
0: So, I mean, they sound hugely revealing. We're getting a sense of ordinary office gripes, but also sort of an increasing sense of despair. You know, you talked about intelligence failures in the run-up to the invasion. Take us back to that, because, you know, we we began by talking about the arrest of Sergei Poseidon, the man who was in charge of... That intelligence gathering, but it was soon followed by a a whole spate of sackings and other arrests. I mean, just talk us through what happened.
1: Yeah, Bicida opened the floodgates in the weeks after that. There were reports that hundreds of FSB officers had had their flats raided. Some of them had been arrested, which again was very striking, not simply for the number of them, but it was an admission that they had failed in their duties.
0: Talk us through what their duties would have been. You know, you said that this is all part of the, the fifth service of the FSB. What exactly was their role in Ukraine before the invasion?
1: They formed in the late 90s when Putin became director of the FSB in the, in the year before he became president to oversee post-Soviet nations and to, to make sure that they did what Russia wanted essentially and didn't fall under the sphere of influence of the West infiltrating governments, political agitation, intelligence gathering. In Ukraine, after the Maidan revolution of 2014, that would have taken on much more urgency than it had done before when when Ukraine had largely been going the way that they wanted to. But in 2014, after Yanukovych, who was a pro-Kremlin president, was deposed, it was clear Ukraine was slipping out of their grasp. So, the FSB spent millions, if not billions, trying to ferment unrest. So they were working hard at making contacts within far right groups. And it's clear also that they had infiltrated, to a certain extent, levels of government within Ukraine, as attested by the fact that in the first weeks of the war, U- Ukraine discovered that somebody within their own negotiations team was uh, a Russian informant.
0: Wow. I mean, I'm so. Clearly, they had been quite effective and they'd spent a lot of money in building up contacts across Ukraine. In which case, what went wrong?
1: Either you, you could say that the FSB is actually not this formidable agency. It is quite old fashioned and it doesn't wield the kind of power that it once used to. And the intelligence that they were gathering was just not very good. Or you could say that actually they are a very well-resourced agency. They have a lot of clever people working for them. The information that they provided was good and was accurate. They'd done their homework. But at some point, as that information was passed higher and higher, somebody in the upper echelons would have tailored it in order for it to be what Putin wants to hear. I don't know which is the case. I suspect it's perhaps a mixture of both.
0: In fact, before Putin jailed his spy chief for poor intelligence on Ukraine, MSNBC put this question to the former Russian Foreign Minister, Andrei Kozarev. Is there anyone inside the Russian government who can even give him the bad news? That is less possible than overthrow him. That's a Russian tradition. They fear to tell the boss the truth, but one day they might come with a uh, weapon and escort him either to the grave or to retirement. And in terms of not being able to give an honest account of what they were seeing in Ukraine, not being able to pass that on to the Kremlin, I mean, what did we learn about that from the whistleblower letters, for example?
1: They were made to write these reports about Ukraine. They were told that it was never going to happen. This is all hypothetical. And so the officers that wrote these reports didn't do a particularly good job. There was a a certain amount of box ticking that went on. It was such a long chain of command that people didn't really have much of an idea of, of the broader picture. And the FSB is not staffed by the brightest and best in the country. It's often people who have family, who've worked in it before. It's viewed as a good stable job and so they're not necessarily worldly they're not the cream of the crop as they often are in the cia or in mi6
0: how embarrassing will the failures of the fsb in ukraine be personally for putin
1: the fsb is almost putin's baby it's what he has lived and breathed since he was in his 20s having first worked for the kgb and then ascending to the directorship of the fsb in the the late 90s it was him who expanded it under his presidency.
0: Sergei Basyeda, the, the guy who was being held responsible for this, who was arrested, he has since been released. Is all well again, or has something fundamentally changed?
1: No, it didn't signal all was fine and dandy again. More the fact that throwing Basyeda in, in prison in the first place was this admission of failure. Even though Basile is apparently back at his desk, there's still been a very fundamental shift in power dynamic.
0: Coming up, in this very Russian coup, one spy organisation's failures have led to the rise of another. We'll tell you all you need to know about the spies who are overtaking the FSB. But first. I'm Anthony Lloyd war correspondent for The Times. It's you who enables me to report from some of the most volatile environments in the world. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. So, Tom, Russia has always had uh, a huge intelligence infrastructure, and their intelligence agencies are incredibly important within the state. Just talk us through them. Talk us through the three main intelligence agencies.
1: The FSB, which is in Russian the Federalnaya Sluzhba Bezopasnosti, is the biggest. I'm glad you said that, and I didn't. It's <laughs> um, uh, the, the chief inheritor of the KGB, and it's a domestic security agency, probably most akin to, to MI5 in this country. And has a very broad remit that deals not only with counter-terror or counter-espionage, but also things like border control. The FSB has enormous powers and enormous control over so much of what goes on in day-to-day Russian life and then there is the SVR which is the foreign intelligence service which is is perhaps a bit like MI6 uh, and runs agents overseas and then there's the GRU which doesn't really have a direct equivalent in this country but it's a bit like a cross between MI6 and the SAS it's technically parts of the army and it has uh, a special forces brigade within it. So it's part intelligence and part military.
0: And is there much rivalry between these groups or do they all sort of function in a harmonious system together? How does it work?
1: No, they are all competing with one another, which I think is probably the way that the Kremlin wants it, the kind of survival of the fittest mentality. And particularly between the FSB and the GRU, there is this rivalry that exists between them.
0: And what's happened now, now that the FSB has been seen to have failed in many ways in their intelligence gathering in the run-up to the invasion in Ukraine? What does that mean for the power balance between these intelligence agencies? Is their failure a, a, a massive boom for the others?
1: It was done... Very subtly, but to Russian security agency watchers, there was a clear signal that the GIU had gained the ascendancy against the FSB on Russian state television. They gave a list of those who were running operations within Ukraine. And for the first time, we saw the name Vladimir Alexeyev, a senior figure within the GIU, and his name appeared and FSB officer name appeared, which will be extremely galling for the, the FSB and a real one-up for the GRU and their, their long-standing rivalry with them. You can infer from the fact that the GRU is a, a military organisation that perhaps there's going to be a step change in in how Russian intelligence operates within Ukraine. The GRU is also the perpetrator of several high-stakes and brazen operations around the world in the last 10 or so years.
0: Talk us through some of the highlights. What are the GRU really known for?
1: They were responsible for blowing up an ammunition warehouse.
0: The Czech Republic has alleged Russia was involved in a 2014 ammunition depot explosion triggering its biggest dispute with Moscow since the end of the communist era. It expelled 18 Russian embassy staff and said investigations linked Russian intelligence to the blast.
1: They attempted to stage a coup in Montenegro in 2016. The Montenegrin government is pro-European and pro-NATO. The Prime Minister during the elections was this man, Milo Djukanovic. The plan was to assassinate him, but the plot was uncovered with just hours to spare and most notoriously they were also responsible for the attempted poisoning of uh, Sergei Skripal in 2018 in Salisbury. Only minutes after Theresa May clashed with the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in the United Nations in New York, the investigative website Bellingcat published photos and documents that appear to show one of the tourists, so apparently interested in Salisbury Cathedral's 123-metre spire and clock, is, in fact, a highly decorated colonel in Russian military intelligence called Anatoly Chepiga. The GRU is a highly disciplined
0: organisation with a well-established chain of command. So this was not a rogue operation. It was almost certainly also approved outside the GRU at a senior level of the Russian state.
1: The GRU style has been on the rise since the appointment of Sergei Shoigu uh, as defence minister. Shoigu is somebody that's very close to Putin and they're often pictured together out fishing and riding horses toplessly. It's one way of showing your It yes, exactly. <laughs> It's often said that part of the reason that Putin likes Shoigu so much is because he doesn't view him as a threat. Shoigu... His father is from Tuva, which is a republic on the Mongolian border, and he's not ethnically Russian. So a non-ethnically Russian person could never be the president. Nonetheless, Shogu is clearly a very ambitious member of Putin's inner circle and has looked to the GRU to try and expand his powers within the defense ministry.
0: But... When they've done operations like Salisbury, which presumably was seen as a disaster, not only did they not kill Skripal, they managed to to accidentally kill a British citizen. They were humiliated because the, the people who carried it out were shown on TV having to make excuses for why they were in Salisbury at the time.
1: They had been innocent tourists visiting the famous English cathedral.
0: In any normal measure of tradecraft and and how well they'd worked as an anonymous spy service, that can't have gone down well.
1: The GRU and the Russian Defence Ministry and the Kremlin more widely throw a lot of mud at the wall and see what sticks. Yes, Salisbury was embarrassing, certainly, but at the same time, the GRU is likely to have been responsible for election interference in the US and in other countries around the world. And you would have to say that they've been quite successful in that. So in the balance of successes versus failures, the Kremlin see the GRU as a useful tool rather than a hindrance.
0: And tell us a bit about the man who was behind that GRU attempt to poison Sergei Skripal, who now seems to have become rather important in the operation in, in Ukraine.
1: Vladimir Alexeev was the man state TV named as the director of intelligence in Ukraine and unlike somebody like Priseda who would have been a career intelligence officer who'd probably gone through the KGB training academies Alexeev is somebody who had a military background served in special forces saw active duty and was involved in military planning in Syria and also in the Donbass so he comes at this from a different direction, much more militarily minded. He has a reputation within Russia for being somebody who's quite gung-ho and quite ruthless.
0: And does this whole saga, does it sort of show us effectively splits at the heart of Putin's administration, perhaps the Russian military isn't as strong as we thought it was in the way that the operations in Ukraine have been conducted. Are we starting to see fault lines inside Putin's court?
1: Yes, I think what this has shown is that not only is its army very under-resourced, under-trained, but also its intelligence services are as well. And The view that the FSB and the GRU are forces to be reckoned with as they were in the Cold War, it doesn't really hold that much these days.
0: And for Putin himself, taking away power from the FSB in this sort of slightly humiliating way, including arrests and sackings, is there a chance that that might turn out to be quite dangerous?
1: Yeah, I have spoken to people who think the level of disgruntlement that there is currently within the FSB could potentially be dangerous for Putin in the future. Um, Vladimir Osechkin published these FSB whistleblower letters, said to me that the FSB was once deemed to be the, the new nobility within Russia. They had good pay social status within Russian society, they were able to go and take their kids on holiday to, to disneyland in paris and life was pretty good for them but now that's all changed they are not only the target of the kremlin's ire but they're also heavily under sanction so that level of disgruntlement could potentially one day pose a threat
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Times reporter, Tom Ball. You can find all of Tom's work on Ukraine and Russia at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Marilyn Rust. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.